I am genuinely excited at the future. We are partnering together as, as a, a band of brothers, as a, a team of churches that are connecting meaningfully. We're getting to know each other. We're, we're joining our hearts together. We're passionate about the same things and we're on a mission together. We're starting churches in these, these key cities, uh, churches that are flooded with the, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of who he is, what he's come to do, so that we can establish communities that, that aren't really uh, places where we demonstrate how great we are or we, we try to get people to behave better uh, as, as if that was the answer. No, we are presenting to these cities that desperately need to know the good news of Jesus Christ a proclamation of his, his true freedom, that, that he's come sent by God to, to bring us freedom from our sins, from our shame, from our guilt, and to give us life and, and, and liberation. And we're starting churches in these cities like Brighton and Berlin and Amsterdam and Ottawa and Krakow and Belfast and Bristol and Bath area and, and here in London, so that right there in the public context we can present the truth of who Jesus is through, through the, the proclamation of the gospel and communities that demonstrate it. This video will tell you a little bit about what's going on as we start churches in these key cities. Krakow is the historical, political, uh, scientific and cultural capital of Poland, really. So there is plenty of uh, going on here in this city, and uh, it's the heart of Poland. If you change Krakow, you change Poland, really. We've seen uh, this calling upon us mm -hmm. to be trained and to be sent and start church here in Krakow. God is so faithful mm -hmm. since day one, really. I found uh, my job very, uh, very quick and also a school, very good school and boys feel very uh, welcome. relaxed, very welcome there, yes. Uh, I have friends from everywhere because it's an international school. I have um, Ukraine, Ukrainian friends, Dutch friends and Indian friends and mm. um, Slovakian friends, that's mm. just me and a few. We look back after a year and it's like, what just happened? God was leading us, it was a long journey before, but it was mm -hmm. like <laughs> always a step closer to what we're doing now. We are here because we want to build a good news church, when people really hear about good news, about God's grace. So at the beginning of the year we're going to start Alpha, and later in the year we hope to, to, to start service. So my prayer is that this city will see the good news. Oh man, it's so good to be back in Belfast and um, we're so excited about the move from Brighton to Belfast in the summer to get here in July. I think my favourite thing about Belfast is the people. I think we just love the friendliness and the hospitality of people. I don't think you'll get that anywhere else. Since we've been away, we're always um, 
surprisingly shocked in a really good way of when we come back how much has changed, how much there's cool pubs, coffee shops, the music scene has always been and always will be in Belfast. It's, it's just a part of who we are and what we do. We love music, live music. We love a pint of Guinness and a whiskey to go with that music. And uh, that vibe hasn't changed, it's still here. I'm so glad to see it's still here. It's gone from a city that has been torn apart by religion and Protestant and Catholic and hurt and damage on both sides to a city that's now trying to, to write a new future and kind of establish itself. I think the thing that amazes me is every Catholic knows about Jesus, every Protestant knows about Jesus. And to see that split in a massive divide, it's just heartbreaking, it's heart-wrenching. And we should all be singing the name of Jesus and we're very passionate to see that. We want to see Catholics, Protestants in one place worshipping Jesus. Being sent by a church and being part of a bigger picture and all the other church plants that, that we feel so part of, it means the world because it feels like we're not doing this on our own and we're not kind of going off on our own back, but actually we've got solid foundations that we're standing on. It excites me knowing that there's cities praying for this city to see religious doors knocked down that's dividing and to have people on that journey. And we want people on that journey with us um, through this gift day, but also through their daily prayer life as well. Let's get stuck into this. Let's see religious doors knocked down and see Jesus move in this city. this season of having two services I've been reflecting on the kindness of God over the last few years and how God's blessed us how he's led us from one thing to the next sometimes we face things and we thought how are we how are we going to move on from here and every time we've just known the favor of God in some of the venues we've just outgrown venues I remember the day we came into this venue we're in now and uh, thinking, will we fill this huge room? What's gonna happen on the first Sunday? And I remember getting here and uh, the room being really quite full. And now we're in a season where we're nearly filling it twice on a Sunday. Yeah, I think what we're wanting to do is reaching people for Jesus. And it's been really encouraging to see someone pray and hear someone pray for the first time. And that person wasn't even saved six months ago, uh, didn't know Jesus. And just to see how God is moving in the city, and touching people um, who, are, yeah, who are so far away of him. I think people have all kinds of strange misconceptions about church. and They think church is outdated and church is maybe uh, not a healthy place for them to be and they take their distance. But if a church can be a healthy, uh, authentic family like it is here, I think people, people wake up to it and, and they get curious about it. This has been quite a key time for us as a church. Uh, launching in, into second service and then having you come through, Dave, into, in, into some leadership here. It feels like a, a very exciting season for us as a church. It has challenges, uh, but it's very exciting. And it feels like God is with us and he's blessing us. I really feel like God has commissioned us to come and serve him and, and preach the gospel and see people saved. We're really hoping that we will build a church that is really glorifying to Jesus, that is a place where people who maybe don't normally come to church can come and find out what Christianity is really about. 
just massively appreciate not being alone <laughs> and uh, being able to stand with other people around the world and, and cheer each other on. I hope this all gives you some idea of what it is that we get to be a part of as churches together. One of the things that we must do as we go forward is gather leaders. As we keep spreading out and expanding in different directions in city after city, it becomes increasingly important that we find regular places and times to connect, to worship together, to pray together, to get wisdom from one another and grow in our sharpness, clarity, strategy about going forward on mission. This year, that conference will be taking place in Krakow in Poland, and it will be one of the things that funds from this gift day will be going towards. I want to ask you to prayerfully consider what you give to this gift day. What you're involved with is the thing that Jesus came to establish. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. There's nothing ultimately on planet Earth more important. And he calls us to trust him with our finances, to be generous towards his kingdom, seeking it first, knowing that all the other things are taken care of by him. I wonder how much we could raise together as we sacrificially go forward together, pouring our lives into what he's building across the cities and nations of the world. Let's see what we can achieve for him this year. So this is a very exciting gift day for us because we are sharing it with these other cities. Uh, we are giving at the same time as churches in uh, Berlin, in Amsterdam, uh, in Ottawa, in Canada, and in London. And, and the goal is that we can, through the giving of this money, help to establish churches also in Bath and Bristol, uh, and in, in Krakow, we, we are uh, on a fantastic mission. Oh, in Belfast as well. You notice the, the letter B theme. That's uh, totally intentional. Uh, we feel very, very clearly called to plant churches in cities that start with B. Um, and, uh, and the exceptions, we've basically said that if you want to plant elsewhere, you need to pay a little bit more and be circumcised. But um, no, no, I'm kidding. So, so the... The letter B is probably a, a, a bit of a kind of accidental coincidence of the, the era we're in. As the future rolls on, there will be other cities that don't start with B. Um, anyway, getting back to this gift day, we are, we are giving with all these churches on the same day, which is amazing and exciting in itself, but ought to also mean that we raise more money uh, as, as a bunch of uh, a gang of churches together. So it's just brilliant. It's exciting. And uh, we, we do it because, well, seriously, these cities are full of people who, uh, as the Bible describes it, uh, are walking in darkness. And they, they need to see the light of life. They, they need to have their eyes opened to see Jesus uh, like, like you do, like I do. We, we all, we're not born to walk blind through life and then die never knowing what it was all about. Uh, we were not born to spend our passion on mediocrity. We we're born to know the glory of God. That's what you were made for. That's what everybody was made for. That's what the dwellers of these cities were made for. How are they going to know the glory of God unless they see it in the face of Jesus Christ? And how are they going to see it in the face of Jesus Christ unless 
communities sent by Jesus are established where people preach Jesus, teach Jesus, and live Jesus, and demonstrate Jesus, so that when you're in those communities, it's, it's Jesus-y. That's what we want. We want Jesus-y communities everywhere, uh, so that people can actually have the chance to, to know him, and, uh, and by knowing him, know what, what, what they're for, what their life was all for in the first place. That's what we long for. That's what we're doing uh, with this great mission we're called to. And to help us focus on that today, I'm going to talk to you from uh, a place in the Bible. We're in Matthew at the moment anyway. We're doing this series in Matthew's Gospel called Paradox. And we're going to talk today on uh, first and last, uh, or is it last and first? Get it? Um, And uh, I'm going to preach to you from Matthew chapter 19. We're jumping ahead a little just for this Sunday from verses 16 to 30, a story that most of us will perhaps have have come across before. Uh, It's a very important story in our Bibles. And uh, uh, this, I hope, will help us to focus on what we're giving to. By the way, I should mention that Amsterdam, uh, for example, we're not giving to Amsterdam because Amsterdam is pretty much self-sufficient financially. So hopefully they'll give lots of money back to me. Uh, that's, that's, what I'm, that's the whole point, and that's why we've invested in this. Um, no, Amsterdam, to, to be encouraging just right now, last Sunday they started their third service. Uh, they, they gathered 280 people in total last Sunday. Uh, it is breathtaking to me what God's doing. We're so excited about the progress of this church planting adventure, and long may it flourish. Okay, let's look at this passage as it comes up on the screen together. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honour your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, They were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. 
Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Let's uh, split this into quarters. This, this is uh, a story with, with four parts, you could say. First of all, you get uh, a question from somebody who approaches Jesus. Then you get Jesus' response to that question. Uh, and then you get the decision that uh, this, this questioner is pushed to. He, he makes a decision, uh, and then you get Jesus explaining the whole thing to his disciples. And uh, I'll take it that way. So, so let's start with the question that comes from this, this, uh, this young man, this rich young man. In fact, one of the Gospels refers to him as a rich young ruler. So he's got power as well as money. He's influential. He's, he's, he, he leaves a wake behind him. He's somebody that perhaps they would have even recognized uh, when he came over to talk to Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention this story, so it's it's something of a big deal uh, in the the minds of the, the gospel writers in the in the the stories of Jesus' life that we have in the Bible. It's worth our attention. He he comes over to say to Jesus, uh, uh, "What must I do? What what have I got to do to enter life?" And right there, we learn something about him. We learn that he's in he's in the mood for some kind of transaction. He wants to do a deal. What, what do I have to do to get this? Uh, he's expecting to be able to do it. He's pretty confident, it seems, that there's some piece missing that he can provide the means for. And he's, he's coming across, it seems to me, uh, fairly aware of his accomplishments, of his position, uh, his, his authority and his resources. He's He's blessed as far as he's concerned. He's, he's flourishing. He's thriving. He's doing well in life. He's climbing up. And it's like he's, he's got to a certain point of climbing where it's like there's, there's some rungs missing on the ladder. I've, I've reached so far, I just need to know how I'm going to make the gap. I've, I've done most of the work. I've done about 80, 90, maybe 95% of the work. I just need just some help from you to just get me across off this last bit. Jesus, could you just kind of just come in and just complete my life? I've got most of it covered. I've done pretty well. And I just need you, teacher, whoever you are. I've heard that you're a big deal. You seem to have some wisdom. I'd, I'd like you to just kind of complete the, the missing part. That's, that seems to me the, the disposition of this, this climber that's come to Jesus in this story. Then we get Jesus' response. And Jesus, Jesus it seems... By subtle means, by, by, by various stages, works to deconstruct the guy. He, he, he's actually going to, by an interesting sequence of questions and, and comments, undermine 
the confidence of this rich young ruler. So Jesus starts off by, by talking to him about goodness. He said to him, what, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus straight away wants to talk to him about that, that word, good. Now, we, we don't know how the conversation was. You know, uh, Matthew gives it us in a few seconds. Just This is a few lines. I'm sure that the conversation was longer. It may have been an hour or more. And, and Jesus, I'm sure, was talking to him to try and penetrate his mind and try to bring down perhaps some of his, his assumptions. What is good? What, what do you think good is? Do, do, you, do you really know what you're talking about when you say, I want good things, and or what good thing must I do? This man is actually going to walk away from Jesus. He's going to reject Jesus, which suggests that he's got a very different view of what is good than Jesus does. In fact, if the, if the testimony of this book is to be believed, Jesus is the personification of good. Jesus is, is good. He is goodness. He is his goodness in skin. And this guy is going to walk away from what is ultimately good. So Jesus wants to start by saying, let's talk about that. Do you, do you know actually what you're after? Do you know what is good? You seem to have a, a, arrived in the eyes of most people in society. You've done well. You're one of the first. You've achieved. You've got gold. You've done, you've done well and you're living the good life. You've got to the good place. But we'll find by the end of the story that it's, it's on its head. And, and Jesus is going to finish the whole episode with that line. The first will be last. The last will be first. Let's talk about what is really good. Do you see good accurately? Are you sure that you do? It's a question we should surely ask ourselves. What is the good we're pursuing? What is the, the, the longing of our heart? What's the thing we yearn for? What are we pursuing? What are we making our decisions by? What are we steering the ship of our lives by? What is good according to our imagination? Jesus wants to arrest our imagination. Say, do you know? What do you imagine to be good? And, and then he's also going to go a little further. He's going to answer his question very frankly, very bluntly by saying, well, you know the law. In other words, you know the commands that God gave to his people, Israel, in the book of Exodus, so in fact, the books of the law. In, in the Old Testament, God gives his law to his people. And Jesus quotes laws to him. And the, the way Jesus quotes the laws is interesting because it's as though the man wants to use the laws as a ladder. Jesus says to him, you know the uh, commands? And the man says, which ones? As if he's sort of saying, yeah, yeah, okay, I, whatever, I'll do them. You tell me which ones I should be going. I, I will get them done. He's got, a, he's got a very confident mentality. He's, he's an activator. He's a, I, I can get this. I can do this. Yeah, that's, I'll get on with it. Just give me, tell me what to do. I'll do it. That's his mentality. And, and, and Jesus sees that that's his mentality. This guy wants to use the law as a ladder. That's how he sees it. If I know what the rules are, I can climb up them. I will use them to get what I want from God. Jesus is going to use the law as a wrecking ball. This guy doesn't understand really how dangerous it is to use the law as a ladder. Jesus is going to come in and break his confidence down with the very law that he wants to climb up. 
to get to God. So, so he says to him, what commands? And then Jesus lists a few. He takes a few out of the Ten Commandments and lists them. But then strangely, he, he finishes with, it seems like a sting in the tail, by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's not one of the Ten Commandments. It's actually taken from Leviticus. But it's uh, an interesting one to include because I suppose on the face of it, you could keep the other ones that he mentions. You could, you could just about avoid murdering people and committing perjury and uh, stealing and lying. You know, some of us might think, yeah, I've, I've done fairly well. You know, I've, generally, that's been my story. I've not done badly according to those laws. And for all we know, this man may well have been quite honestly sure he's done well at all those things. One of my parents, well, you know, I, you know, basically. But then this last one, love your neighbor as yourself. Can you really say you've done that? Who of us really loves other people as much as we love ourselves? Really? Have you done that? The man says, yeah, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, I've done that one. What next? What next? It's like the, the, the level of self-awareness is increasingly looking a little shaky. The guy, the guy is, it seems, insensitive to his real situation. He's sure he knows that he must do good things to have good things, but he doesn't know the state of his own soul. He doesn't know that how the law will really reveal what's under the surface. We can do that with the law. You get other places in the New Testament, for example, where Paul in, in uh, Philippians chapter 3 refers to himself as before he became a Christian, when he was a very religious, self-righteous teacher of the law. He says, as regards the law, I was faultless. I was faultless. God, that is an extraordinary claim when you consider it. Then you read also in Romans chapter 7, where he talks about the other side of his experience under the law, where he says when he was really honest about the law, it seems, when he really saw the, 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 the standards it called him to, especially the tenth of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet, it kind of broke him apart and he cries out in Romans 7, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I can't keep up with it. Why? Because, for example, the Tenth Commandment really puts the spotlight on us. It searches us out. You could almost keep the other nine, perhaps, but then number 10 is you shall not even desire to sin. You shouldn't even desire. Maybe externally, outwardly, we could keep to a certain level of righteousness. But when we're told the very desire to sin, your yearnings and longings, the things that you hunger after and seek after in, in your own private moments, as it were, the things that you yearn for, those are the things that show what you really are, what you've become. And these are the things God knows and the things that he wants purity in. And this guy ought to by now have got to the point of realizing that covetousness is in his soul. But he hasn't seen it. And so Jesus applies the, the wrecking ball one more time when he says to him, well, all right, what, what more? What, what, what's the thing? How, how, do I, how do I go further here? And Jesus says, all right, if you want to be complete, if you, want, if you want to, the last rung of the ladder, here it is. And it's this extraordinary request, this great demand. Take everything you've got, sell it all, give it to the poor. You'll get treasure in heaven and then come follow me. And this, this is the wrecking ball that lands. It, 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 it devastates the 
construction of self-confidence this guy's developed. Perhaps over years, perhaps since childhood, he's been kind of building this, this, this edifice of, of selfhood. And finally he sees, I, I can't even begin to imagine what you're asking me to do. That, that touches all that I hold dear. I have many possessions. I can't do that. I can't. I can't do that. And so he, he goes away sad. Jesus has got the power to, to get right under the surface of this, this, this guy's motivations. What, what makes him tick? And, and the result is that he makes this decision. So our third piece is the decision. And it's a, it's a sad decision because we know perhaps more than this man does what it is he's refusing. We know what it is that's being offered to him. When Jesus says, sell everything you've got, give to the poor, come and follow me. What he hears is a hideous demand that is completely unreasonable and outrageous. What we hear, if we know Jesus at all, is quite different. When he says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, well, first of all, what he's offering him is a life of dependence rather than anxiety. Jesus is saying to him, all the all the panic that you live by, all the anxious thoughts, all the worries about your wealth and your investments and the possible scenarios where it could all get taken away from you, all of your need for power, to sustain your power, to maintain your position in society and win the respect of your peers, all of your, your worries about security, about danger, about things that, all the things that you carry on your frail shoulders, young man, all the things that you walk through life with, knowing that however good you look on the outside, inwardly, you, you, you feel exhausted by it. You live a life of worry. You live a life of anxiety. Not in spite of your wealth and power, but partly because of it. You're under the pressure of it. And I want to set you free. I want to release you from the burden because my shoulders are big. I can carry you. I will see to it that you never lack anything. I will look after you. I know how to handle you. I know how to handle the pressures you feel. I get it. I know what you feel about worries about the future and investments and stock markets and economies and viruses. I know what you're going through and I will carry you through it. That's what he's saying. He's not just saying, I hate money and, I, and I, I'd like you to be poor. Because I'm miserable. I want you to be miserable too. And they say, I, I want you to know freedom. I want you to know freedom from worry. Doesn't that appeal to you? Well, no, evidently it doesn't appeal to this, this young man. Jesus is offering him so much. He's, he's, he's offering him freedom for adventure over against mediocrity. Real adventure. Jesus is saying, come follow me. The other people he said that to, they had quite a life. <laughs> and they still do. They have quite a future. We know their names, a lot of them. In fact, we know their names now. Thousands of years later, thousands of miles away, we're still naming our kids after them. We're naming our buildings after them. We're naming our hospitals after them. Matthew, Andrew, Peter, James, John. Not Zebedee, but those ones. <laughs> we're, we're naming, we're naming things. Their names are a big deal. And in the Bible, names are a big deal. 
This guy's story is told by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Note the names. We don't know his name. Not one of those guys tells us his name. That's important in the Bible. When people go by nameless, it means something. It means that in eternity, meh, they just they, they went by. Their wealth and their power was short-lived. Their significance and influence was like the mist that disappears. It was vanity. This guy, he's giving himself to wealth and power, giving himself to such important things. They're so important. There's such a, that we have them passion. We want to be important, don't we? We want to be significant. We'll, we'll make decisions to be more significant, to be the most significant person in the room. It's such a longing and a hunger in our hearts. And maybe there's a piece of that that's not wrong. We want to be significant. Well, Jesus gives you a name forever. And ever, Jesus gives you a home, a place with him. He says, come, come on an adventure. I want to set you free from the mediocrity of humdrum life, which means nothing. I want you to come with me. I'll take you all over the world. The adventure that we have when we follow Jesus is, is way bigger than we might expect at first. When we take big decisions of trust and risk and generosity, and we say, Jesus, I, I've got this money. I want you to have it. We might feel we're kissing goodbye to any adventure. No, no, we're just stepping into it. We get to see what he will do with our lives and with our resources. And in eternity, it will last and, and, and mean so much more than we could have even known in this life. But, but nevertheless, even in this life, you know, I think of the guys on, on the video we just watched, people who you know, are just, in a sense, are just ordinary people. But they're, they're people who are on an adventure because they've said yes to Jesus. You know, I think of my friend Matt Simmons there in Amsterdam, facing all kinds of challenges and troubles difficulties, but, but gathering hundreds of people to the gospel. It's amazing what Jesus can do with an ordinary person that says, yeah, I'll follow you. I'll come with you. You know, these 12 fishermen and tax collectors, they're just ordinary blokes. But they went around the world with him. <laughs> and they, they did extraordinary things for him. They wrote books that we still read. But the adventure of following him, the adventure of risk-taking with him is perhaps bigger than we can know. In this life, and certainly in the life to come. God's called us here. It's such a privilege for us that we have this city's adventure. He's called us in a weird way, in a way that we couldn't have made happen, to plant churches in city after city after city. And I do sometimes pinch myself. I think, you know, years ago I would have thought, wouldn't it be amazing to plant churches in, in multiple cities and start to see people saved in these different places. But then I would have stopped and thought, yeah, but that's, that's just a nice dream. It's just a nice idea. And God starts to do it because we start to put him first and trust him and go on the journey with him. Friends, he's, it's him that has taken us. He's taken us, like those 12, on a, the mission of their lives. And it's worth every, every part of our attention of our resources of of our praying it's worth it because he's calling us to something so much greater than our ordinary mediocrity that sadly this young man drifted back into after his conversation with the son of god he went back to a life that now is a nameless nothing god help us to not mean nothing in eternity the third thing that i noticed that jesus is is uh, offering him is fellowship Fellowship over against restlessness. He's saying, come follow me. That's important. It doesn't just say, sell everything, give the money away to the poor and, and be a hermit. 
Sell everything, you know, live, in the, live in the desert in a cave uh, on your own uh, because that's virtuous. That's what I expect. No, it's not, it's not just cold virtue. Jesus calls him to fellowship, companionship, friendship, partnership. He says, come with me. Come with me. And when the Son of God says to you, come with me, here's a tip. Go. He's the Son of God. He's quite cool. He's quite good to be around. You ever been in a situation where people have said, you know, we're going out, you're coming, and you've kind of, you kind of hedged your bets a bit. I'm not really sure because you, <laughs> you're not sure about the place they're going. It doesn't sound very fun, not very interested in going there. It sounds boring. Sounds not really interesting. And then you find out that someone else is going, oh, I'll come if you're going. I said that a few times when I met my, my wife. I'll go if you're going. I'll go, I want to go. I want to be around you. Maybe you've got friends that you feel like just, I don't really care what we do. I just love being with them. You've got friends like that? Honestly, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I, where do you want to go on holiday together? I don't care. I just love hanging out. I love, I love the time. I love the fellowship. I love just you. Being around you is just, it's all sort that of matters to me, really. These guys, they, they, they followed Jesus because they, they just couldn't imagine otherwise. He was life. His best friend John, at the end of his life, he writes a letter saying, in him was life. In him was life, real life, eternal life. And we, we got to hang out with him. It's just amazing. And this, guy, this guy is just in, invited into presumably a fairly high level of fellowship. Come with me, follow me. I wonder how many people Jesus said that to. In this unique way. And that this guy, well, not really. No, I'm just, I've got possessions. I've got stuff. I, I'm, I'm not sure I get the point of that. And Jesus invites him into fellowship in a very meaningful way. Because Jesus actually knows this guy better than he realizes. Jesus knows what it is to be a rich young ruler. When Jesus says, sell what you have and give it all to the poor. Give everything. Rich young man, ruler, powerful young man, give it all. Give it all to the poor. Give it to those who need it. Well, it's mine. Well, all right, maybe it is, but give it. Give it to other people. Because you'll have treasure. You've got joy set before you. You'll have treasure before you that's greater. Jesus is describing himself. That's his story, isn't it? The richest young ruler. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Man, he became poor. The, 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 <laughs> the creator of everything, the sovereign one, the, the, the firstborn over all creation. The wisdom of God, the eternal Son of God. That he, he was able to say, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus became so poor. And on the cross, he was destitute, he was abandoned. He became the most poverty-stricken there's ever been. This is God on the cross. This is God showing us what it means to... To walk this road. 
when Jesus calls us to walk a road, when Jesus says, follow me, when Jesus says with a kind of glint in his eye, with a, with a smile, follow me, it, the road can look a little, little weary, weary, wearying, worrying, I should say. Got there in the end. The road could look challenging. The road looks, the road looks tough. The road involves some, some deaths, if you like, some struggles, some crosses. But, but he did it for the joy set before him. He says to the guy, you'll have treasure. Trust me, this is the way to go. You, you like possessions, do you? You like power, do you? I tell you, thrones, treasure, come with me. Come with me. This is the way he beckons us. And when he says give, give to this. We're going to plant churches in cities. We're going to have an impact on our society and our generation. We're going to see lives transform. Maybe we'll see an impact on the culture of these cities. That's what we're praying for. And friends, what you will get as you learn to follow me and trust me with your resources, you'll see my faithfulness, you'll see my commitment to you, you'll get answers to prayer, you'll, you'll, you'll come on the journey with me. I've been there. God, jeez, I've, I've, have I got to give away? Have I got to be generous? Have I got to... He's not asking you to do something he doesn't know all about. He's, he's done it, he's been there, he knows the road, and he calls us to it with him. And this man says to him, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Why? I guess maybe one of the biggest clues in the whole passage is the way he greets Jesus. Teacher, he says. Do you recognize? Do you notice that? Teacher, he calls him. Teacher. That's all he sees Jesus. Coach. <laughs> Life skills coach. TED Talk giver. I, te- I've, I need some help with my life, teacher. Until we see that Jesus is saviour, is king, is the fairest among 10,000, is the pearl of great price. Until we see him for who he is, that he's the beginning and the end, that he's, he's, he's worth everything. We'll always be a little stingy. We'll always be a little bit reserved and cautious until we see it's him who beckons us and who he is changes Everything. And Jesus, just to close this, gives an explanation. He turns to his disciples and says, it's hard for the rich to enter in. It's weird. This guy spent his life getting anywhere he likes, I expect, with money. You can. You can, get, you can jump the queue with money. Bouncers let you in when you've got money. Head waiters, they give you a table that was reserved a minute ago because you've got money. Generally, you get first class with money. He didn't get in with Jesus with his money. In fact, his money was the problem, it seems. His, his heart was not ready. He couldn't. He couldn't receive because he didn't really desire Jesus. He didn't. He didn't want Jesus. But maybe you do. The disciples say, who then can be saved? They worry. What does that mean then? If, 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 if people, anyone who's got any idol can't really have Jesus. Scary thought, but Jesus says, no, no. With, with men, it is impossible. With God, it shall be possible. And it's, that's not just a nice idea. He's got the proof. These 12 themselves. Look, these 12, these guys themselves. Says, oh, no, you guys, <laughs> you're going to have thrones. You guys, no, God's done a work in you. Your hearts have been changed and transformed. You're free. Sometimes we, we sort of live as though we're not free from our idols. We get a bit distracted. We get a bit tangled up and caught up with other desires. 
But Jesus wants to say to you today, if you know him, if you love him, you're free. You're free from idols. You're free from the distractions that, that tore this man away from his potential destiny. Live free. Live free today. Live according to your true identity as one who's been set for, liberated to enjoy him, to really enjoy him. The impossible has happened in your life. Jesus comes to us today, says, listen, I've got so much more reward for you, so much more to bring you into. I can't even, I have to use picture language like thrones and stuff like that just to get your attention. Imagine your idea of goodness. What's the good that you want out of 2020? I'm thinking coronavirus might ruin it all. What, what about my holidays? What about this? And all the things that are good in my life can get sucked out by circumstances that I can't control. How can this be good? If, if sickness comes, if, if, if financial problems come, where's the good? Maybe it's because we don't really know yet what is good. Jesus comes to us as the, as the, the good. He is goodness in flesh. And he's offered himself to us. He says, trust me, come on my adventure. Trust me, be generous, be giving. Give to the poor, the spiritually poor, the ones who walk in darkness. And and enjoy all the reward of that as I give myself to you. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the goodness of your son. As we come to the table and take bread and wine, we, we remember his gift of himself to us. He is goodness, goodness incarnate. And we thank you for God in the flesh. God that we can receive, God that we can enjoy, that we can feed on and know in our very lives. We pray help us to live and give accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.